Hello and welcome back to the Wesleyan Argus podcast with your hosts for this semester. My name is Lia McLaverham and I'm the podcast manager. And I'm Audrey Nelson, a staff writer on the Argus. On the podcast this week, Audrey and I are going to be discussing the controversial topic of misandry at Wesleyan. Recently, first year Michael Habron submitted a letter to the editor that argued that misandry, or prejudice against men, is a problem that Wesleyan needs to confront. Shortly after the letter was published, staff writers Lily Aluwalia and John V. Munde wrote an opinion piece countering Michael's argument. Before we begin with our discussion, we want to stress that the views of the interviewees do not reflect the Wesleyan Argus podcast. First, Audrey, features editor Yuji Shaknovskaya and I spoke with Michael about his perspective, his writing process, and the response he's gotten. Uh, my name is Michael Habron. I am class of 2027. And can you briefly start by talking us through your inspiration for writing the piece that you wrote? Yeah. So the reason why I specifically chose the Argus to send it to was because back in like the late 80s, early 90s, during like the protest years, the Argus was like, there would at least be like one article that sounded like it was made by someone who's like kind of crazy. And that was... Those are very entertaining to read. I recommend everybody like go check some of those out because they're really cool. And the Argus today, it's it's really well written, it's well researched, it's it's well argued, and it's also pretty like agreeable stuff. But there isn't like that like level of crazy that I think Wesleyan used to have. And so that was kind of why I looked at like the Argus for a place to write something. And then I think the probably more interesting question is why misandry? And misandry generally isn't that big of a deal (laughs) for the most part and like most of society it's about as harmful as like making fun of someone for like the brand of water bottle they use like it's not that big of a deal like most people aren't treated badly because they're a man however i've been in a lot of progressive spaces and there does seem to be generally a trend of like disliking men and that doesn't seem all that bad however when you start to get to things like rape being taken less seriously or body shaming or sex shaming being accepted as like a way to attack men or just like a host of other things like reinforcing toxic masculinity, a whole bunch of things. That's where I start to see like misandry as more of a problem. And I think that it does happen enough at Wesleyan and it is pretty accepted. Like you can do it and nobody will really care. Where like, I think it is worth talking about. On that note, how does like you mentioned liberal spaces, does that compare to I guess, the spaces you were brought up in where like were men regarded kind of differently or is it like very specific to Wesleyan and experiences here? So I grew up in like a, I think fairly moderate place. You know, there were liberals, there were progressives, there were also conservatives and Republicans and stuff. So it was, I don't know, it, it, misandry i never really saw it happen that much i did see it happen sometimes generally in more like female friend groups or groups that like have more women in them but yeah generally that wasn't like a huge thing i think a lot of more but like outside of like my school in my town i think like more progressive spaces that i've been in that are kind of like more dedicated to talking about politics those generally is where i have seen misandry kind of take shape Can you walk us through what the writing process was like? I mean, this is obviously a pretty controversial, high-profile article. So did that kind of factor into 
how you went about writing it? Did you speak to other people before? Or I guess, what was the thought process behind the actual writing on the page? I talked to some people about like some of the ideas that are in the article. I didn't like necessarily talk to them about the article itself because I hadn't like thought to write that article yet. But like a, a decent amount of the ideas that I put in there, I had talked to people before about. So I kind of thought that I had a decent grasp of like what I needed to elaborate on and what I needed to clarify and just like how it would be taken with like the audience that I've chosen, which is the Wesleyan student body. So one of the criticisms of your letter that we've heard is that it conflates personal experiences with larger systemic issues. And we're just wondering how you would respond to that particular criticism. Yeah, so I think that there are, there's a difference between personal and systemic experiences. But I think there is also something to be said about cultural trends. And while what I'm writing that I wouldn't say is a systemic thing, it's not a systemic issue. It's, it's just not, unless if you consider cultural things to be part of a system. But I generally, I think there's enough distinction between culture and systems where like I would separate the two. So I think that there is like a culture of this at Wesleyan. And while it's definitely not systemic, in my opinion, it is more prevalent than just like one or two personal things. I think there is like an underlying mindset that is somewhat pervasive in our culture. And and what would you say that difference between culture and, and system is if you're if you're able to articulate it? Yeah, so I guess system I generally look at as a little bit more like like an actual system. So like I don't think there is much misandry in Wesleyan as like an institution. Like we have a bunch of male fac faculty. We have Michael Roth, <laughs> he's a guy. So, and like, there doesn't seem to be any sort of like systemic discrimination against men at all. So there's just not that. But when you look at like how people as a group act within our culture, that is different than like personal experience because it's not just like one personal experience, it's multitudes of experiences kind of like coalescing to create a general culture. I do have to ask then, because you cite the Palestinian conflict specifically with reference to Gaza, like that wouldn't necessarily be like a Wesleyan culture issue. That'd be more of like an international thing. So would you say that Miss Andre is prevalent as a systemic issue or would that again be like a cultural, I don't know, like phenomenon? I think it's a cultural thing within like progressive spaces. So generally the people advocating for Gaza and for the Palestinian people are progressive. And I don't think generally that we gender it against men mostly. Like I think most, most activism for Palestine is not like, oh, let's just ignore men. Most of it talks about everybody, but there is at least some instances where like I've seen Palestinian women complain that Palestinian men are kind of like left behind and just like the argument that like Palestinian men are terrorists is seeded so that to like conservatives and Islamophobes so that uh, they can like not have to defend the idea that like not all Palestinian men are terrorists, which I don't think is a indefensible claim. I think that you should probably defend the Palestinian men that aren't terrorists from being killed by the IDF. So this is somewhat related, but I'm just curious how how you chose the um, like how you chose the examples that you used to back up your general argument and how and how you sort of chose to structure your letter in terms of I, I don't um, if I'm I don't think there are like 
interviews with anyone else. So I'm just curious like about why you chose to write it sort of from largely from your perspective with these examples and um, not so much as reach out to other people at Wesleyan. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, so one thing is that like at the end of the day, yeah, this is like, it's my perspective based on like what I've seen that there's a culture of misandry, but obviously not everybody agrees with that and that's fine. But I think that I have seen enough evidence from not just my friend groups, but also just like totally like random people and random things just happening nearby where I, and like, it just like not being addressed or cared about at all, where like, it's probably a broader thing. As for why I didn't really like interview anyone else is because one, I just kind of, it's not like that big of a thing. I don't need to like go get the testimonial of like 50 men who like feel <laughs> that, that feel like they've like had a mean experience for them being a man. Like, I, it's not like, it's not that huge of a issue. And then also just like, I think generally, a lot of men are more in like male dominated spaces on Wesleyan. Um, and most men probably don't see that much misandry because like they're in spaces dominated by men. And if you're in a male dominated space, you probably don't want to like say things that are mean to men. Like that's just how it works. Another common criticism that you may have or that we've heard is that the using the phrase misandry equates the struggle of men to those of women as opposed to using it as a consequence like like you mentioned like toxic mas masculinity as a consequence of the patriarchal systems and i i kind of just wanted to get your thoughts on that yeah so the general issue seems to be that a lot of these words for a lot of people imply a systemic injustice or a power difference in that way and while for some people they do for me i just i most people out in the normal world don't use sexism to mean like systemic oppression of women specifically they just mean like oh like you're being mean to somebody who somebody based on their gender um and so generally so like obviously when i'm talking about misandry misandry is not nearly as bad as misogyny because of the systemic oppression that women face. However, if that systemic oppression of women like didn't exist, misogyny would still exist. It just wouldn't be that big of a deal. But because of the systemic oppression that exists, that's what makes misogyny such a big deal. Misandry isn't that big of a deal because it's not systemic oppression. And so like, I personally am just using words that I feel best articulate what I'm trying to say. If other people don't wanna use those words because they think that like, bigotry or misandry or sexism have to be systemic then they can do that but i feel like it i feel like limiting our words in that way kind of limits the conversation because it just it, it just means that there's like there aren't really words to talk about cultural attitudes we've been talking about the some of the criticisms you've received um can you tell us more about the general responses that the that the letter garnered yeah I don't know. Uh, there were a lot of people who had genuine criticisms of what I had to say, and I really appreciated that. I think that that was also another reason why I wanted to write this article, just because like back in the day, everybody used to be saying crazy shit on Wesleyan. I'm sorry, if, I don't know if I can swear or not. I probably can. Um, but like people used to be saying crazy shit at Wesleyan, and now it seems like pretty just like everybody's very reasonable. And being reasonable is really awesome, but being reasonable also means that there just isn't much to talk about. But so for the, the response that I got, there were people who 
wanted to engage with what I had to say, and I really appreciate those people. But generally, the response was like pretty insane. I don't have Fizz downloaded, and I, I haven't had it downloaded, but I, I saw like a screenshot of the Fizz page like a day after my article went out. And there were like a couple like 800 upvoted posts, which is like a, a quarter of the Wesleyan student body, I think. And there were like, let's be real, like there were some like pretty sexist posts towards men, which like isn't great, but also, I mean like, hey, that at least proves my point a little bit more. There were also just like generally just isolation. I would say it was a pretty big consequence of what happened. I mean, like people kind of just like, avoid me in a lot of ways and a lot of ways also people don't you know there are like i definitely have i've definitely been avoided by a lot of people but you know there are also people who like know that i wrote it but you know they still treat me like a human being which is nice but i would say generally it was a lot of kind of abject hatred and a lot of it seemed like it had come from people who hadn't ready hadn't really read my article like I heard a professor said that I would fit in really well in a society where like one guy controls the town and he just like rapes all the women which is like an insane thing to say <laughs> and like like you can think that I'm really stupid but if you think that I'm like pro the mass rape of people from my article like I don't know I don't know what's going on with your brain right there but yeah I think that the the response to my article was like mostly pretty disappointing with some people that gave me a little bit of hope. Was that the response that you expected? Or did you expect it to be a little bit more like supportive? I didn't expect support. I expected people to disagree, but I just expected people to actually like engage with what's being said rather than just like participate in like light cyberbullying or whatever. I don't know. It, it was very like, huh. Like I, I thought Wesleyan was a little bit better at engaging with things than what has happened. I'm wondering, since these responses, have your opinions changed? If you could go back and write it again, would you? That kind of question. If I could go back and write it again, I, I mean, I'm glad that I wrote it. There is definitely some stuff that I would change in terms of like how I wrote it. Yeah, there, there's definitely some stuff that I would change in terms of how I wrote it and how easy my argument is to follow. I would definitely try to make things maybe a little bit more clear that to me seemed pretty clear, but obviously weren't to a lot of people. And I think that near the beginning, I think the one thing that like I definitely would change content wise is that I think I simplified the culture of Wesleyan as a whole in terms of like how like female dominated it is. Like I, I think that was simplified and like honestly a little just like incorrect. Cause even in spaces where it is like half men and half women, we still, like, Wesleyan is kind of a bubble, but it's also, like, there's still misogyny here. Like, the patriarchy still exists. If it's, like, a group that's half men, half women, there's still that power dynamic where, like, men can kind of dominate things a little more. So I, I think I definitely would have changed at least that bit at the beginning of my article. I was wondering why you didn't decide to go anonymous with the article. And maybe this is just because you didn't anticipate the kind of responses you'd get. But, yeah, it's a question, a question I've had. Yeah, I considered going anonymous. It would have been a lot easier. But I think that we should probably cultivate a culture at Wesleyan where people aren't afraid to say what they think. And I'm not sure if this really helped. If anything, it might have shown people that like, hey, like, 
if you were worried before, like, yeah, you should be worried. But I, I think it's important that we try to make sure that like people at least feel comfortable expressing viewpoints. And then lastly, we were wondering going forward, what are you hoping that people take away from your piece? I know you had, when you when you initially wrote it, you had one set of things, and then there's been this criticism and this backlash. And what are you hoping now, I guess, and after this conversation that people take away from it? Honestly, I think the, the misandry problem is not Wesleyan's biggest cultural issue. After seeing the response, I think the biggest cultural issue is probably empathy and cruelty. And I think Fizz kind of helps perpetuate this in a way. I don't know the Fizz team and like what they've been able to do with that platform is really impressive, but it's also very anonymous. And even aside from like what is posted about me, a lot of the time on that social media space, I mean, you just see people anonymously like shitting on people behind their backs, except instead of behind their backs, it's broadcasted to the entire campus. And I don't know. I like the idea of people not knowing exactly who's posting what, but I think there at least needs to be better moderation. And past that, I think there also needs to be just like more empathy and less judgment. And that isn't like something that's just Wesleyan. And Wesleyan's probably better at it than a lot of places, but it still happens at Wesleyan. And it's something that we should address because Wesleyan should be a welcoming and friendly community. And while well, it is a lot of the time, sometimes it's not. I have some questions as well, which we're going to leave in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, one of the things I was interested about is like, obviously when the article came out, I looked up and in, like into this, you know, issue a little bit more. And I was wondering if you did any kind of research beforehand and if you relied on any, any like literature or scholarship, you know, like I found like a book called The Myth of Male Power. And I, I was just curious if there's, you know, kind of, a greater kind of story to um, the way that you approach your research? Um, I'm not gonna lie. I have a very, I'm, I'm very, <laughs> very skeptical of scholarship about bad treatment of men. I, I think basically all of us are, we're, we're pretty primed to like immediately when someone's like, oh, we need to talk about misandry. We're like, do we really? And so like, I understand that, like, that happens to me, too. And a lot of the time when I hear people talking about, like, men's issues, a lot of the time, maybe they're able to identify them, but they do a really horrible job. So, like, the Red Pill community or, like, Andrew Tate, they do a really bad job. And, like, scholarship-wise, I just... It's possible that, like, somebody just, like, got fascinated with the topic and, like, really wanted to talk about it. But it's really difficult for me to like believe that like if someone's like whole scholastic profession is like talking about men's issues it's just it's difficult for me to think that like their ideas are super well thought out or if they're just kind of like anti-woman i guess kind of a clarifying question that i wanted to ask a little bit is exactly what is your position in terms of the way that this andrew should be uh, evaluated in relation to like misogyny what do you hope that this kind of what kind of change do you hope that this article brings and how should this change kind of proceed? Uh, I just hope that when people hear their friends kind of perpetuating male gender roles, perpetuating toxic masculinity, or just like they're kind of being a dick to someone because they're a guy, just say like, hey, like that's not cool. If that becomes our default response, which it should be for like most things, like if somebody like just like 
consistently is like an asshole to someone for like the brand of their water bottle. It's just like, hey, guy, like, chill. If that's our response to misandry, then there's really no reason to ever talk about it again. Because once we, I don't know, right now it seems like misandry is kind of like accepted as an okay way to attack people. And I just think that it shouldn't. And clearly, it is not nearly, nearly, nearly as harmful as any forms of oppression, uh, because it's not oppression. But it is still, like, not cool, and we shouldn't do it. Okay. No. Yeah, thank you for that answer. I And thank you for the clarification, because I do feel like a lot of people might have thought otherwise. I do think that, like, where, like, you and I perhaps differ, right, is, like, I guess these were, I don't know, obviously, the context that you encountered these kind of comments in or jokes, but, right, I have, like, a quite significant number of like male cis friends who I make those jokes with and I approach them after this article and I ask them you know how does this make you feel like and whatnot and I it feels like they kind of take it in a very lighthearted way just like you know jokes about like white people are also funny because they're true and it's like right there's a negative connotation maybe but like it's just not that big of a deal especially when you're kind of it's a joke about like the oppressor if that makes sense so I'm wondering how you would like respond to that and how do you like reconcile that I'm fine with the jokes. I was happy to like do the examples that I provided in my article. But the issue is just like when it feels like I'm being confined to like, okay, you think that as a man, this is my role and that this is what you think my, I should be doing because I'm a man. And like, I'm happy to do that thing when you're confining me to that because I'm a man, that feels kind of crappy. Or when it feels like after a while, and if you like do it long enough, the jokes start to seem like, okay, well maybe they're not really jokes. Maybe you actually do old men in a lesser view. Then like, that's a little hurtful. We also sat down with Lily and Janvi about their response piece. Just first and foremost, this was obviously a response article. So can you just talk us a little bit through like your inspiration for writing the piece and why it is you decided to even write a piece? There were a lot of circulating conversations, but this was the first sort of response to the actual article. So if you can just talk us through that, that'd be great. Yeah, I don't know. I just felt like personally that as a woman especially, I felt like I needed to respond or someone needed to step up and respond just because I felt a little bit like it was kind of the way it argued for, it had a lot of chances to do a lot of things right in terms of arguing for <laughs> like ending toxic masculinity and liberation for men in order to like not be restricted within their gender. But I felt like the way it was argued kind of invalidated the experiences of women and I felt like someone needed to respond and that you should always hear both sides of an argument. For sure. I mean, the first time I heard about it was, you know, Lily getting in touch with me and I'm, I don't think I would have done it if <laughs> she hadn't reached out. But I knew like a lot of people who were feeling pretty outraged about the article. And I knew that like there were so many different responses the article was getting, but like it needed to be something coherent. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about like it wasn't just outrage that the article had been written, but it was sort of outrage that it had it had the possibility to do more than it did and it failed to. I was wondering if you guys could like give more of your take on that. Yeah, I mean when I'm talking with like other people in my class about it, they're often like he was he was almost there, he was so close. But every time he like reached kind of a point in the letter where he could make a really good argument that could actually help people reading it and have like a good call to action, it just kind of like backfired on him and he kind of undid 
Yeah, I was trying to say. It was just like the focus on like a few examples that to people around me and myself, we found them sort of petty and counterintuitive. But the thing is, it was just like a very zoomed in argument. That's the thing. The letter got so close and then it just completely diverged from, I think, what people were expecting to read, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but in this context. It just, it could have done so much more just on the point that was made about intersectionality. The letter does, it does recognize intersectionality. It just fails to sort of incorporate it into the main argument. You guys have already mentioned that this is very controversial, somewhat of a high-profile article. So can you talk us through what the writing process was like? Did you guys have conversations with friends? Did you do research? How did you kind of formulate your argument and your response? I definitely talked to my friends a lot about it. I'm, even before I decided to write the article, we were just having a lot of conversations about it, which helped. And you know, I'm very passionate about this sort of stuff, so I already had kind of like a background, like read a lot of books children for me. Yeah, definitely. I think like a lot of the things that I wanted to put in there were also like other people's perspectives because I knew that my own wouldn't be enough to like coherently argue against what the letter was saying. But honestly, just like even like seeing the first list of like bullet points that Lily was writing about, I was like, oh, okay, so this is already being done. What can I do to add to this? And so then what I tried to do was just focus on other perspectives while also looking at the letter itself more specifically because I wanted to like address a few points that he was talking about explicitly. Getting a bit more specific, in your article you write, in fact, it is healthy that non-men feel safe enough to make these jokes at Wesley, and I was wondering if you could expand on this idea. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm part of a lot of the comedy groups at Wesleyan. I love comedy and I love humor, and I feel like it's a very healing thing. And I think that I wrote also that punching up is a lot different than punching down is and that making a joke about a man well if they find it annoying like my advice would be just tell the person who made the joke that you didn't like it I feel like that would be a better way to have this sort of conversation on a more personal level yeah I, I just think humor is very healing and I have a lot of friends who are men who are able to joke about that stuff with me and it also shows that they're comfortable with themselves and also kind of learning how to work against the patriarchy as well. For sure. Um, and I think like contextually do like, come on, this is happening at a university. You would not catch, you know, people making jokes about men in like places where the patriarchy is still prevalent, which is like almost everywhere outside of bubbles like Wesleyan, and, and it's prevalent even within Wesleyan. So you touch on the difference between like individually responding to a joke and more of like a systemic, I don't know, structure or issue. Do you think that was part of the issue with the article that maybe he was equating some of his personal issues with a larger problem? Yeah, I mean, I was also, I was reading some of the comments under his letter and someone made a good point that, you know, saying that you felt like, like an accessory for a Halloween costume and then not commenting on, like, all the stigma with, like, sexual assault against, like, non-men and, like, thinking costumes are consent and stuff like that. There's just a lot of nuance left out of it and I feel like individual jokes, it's, like you said, there are better bones to pick. Yeah, there's just... 
so many other things could have been focused on is what we felt like. I mean, it felt a little bit more like he was focusing more on his hurt feelings versus like it was coming from a very in informed place. And I think that maybe if more research had been done about like fighting toxic masculinity, even like the use of humor and activism and stuff like that, and I think it would have been a lot more informed. I'm wondering if that partially informed how you guys chose to write your article because you saw that he had sort of steered clear of more research and done more of a personal experience. For example, I noticed that yours is a, an opinion article rather than a life of the editor as his is, and I, I'm curious if that sort of played a role in, as you critiqued his letter, choosing the format and the structure of yours. I think so, right? I know that like my structure, the parts I wanted to focus on was like a direct reply to the letter itself. And I think the thing is, even without doing research, you could pick on points in the letter where like there seemed to be certain inconsistencies. Mm -hmm. So I think that was something I had in mind going and writing the opinion article. Yeah, I also really wanted to do an opinion article and not a letter to the editor because I felt like while yes, we're responding to his letter, it's also something generally that should be addressed at Wesleyan and that we should be talking about more. And so I wanted to put it in that sort of space. I'm not quite sure how to ask this question, mainly because I just thought of it. <laughs> but so with something like the patriarchy, it's very easy to prove that it exists and it's there because there are these historical accuracies, there are these personal experiences that people deal with. How would someone go about proving a Miss Andrus structure exists at Wesleyan? Is it through personal experiences or is that not enough? I think something we talked about is how like outside culture also seeps inside of Wesleyan. And I would say, well, in outside culture, there's definitely not a misandrist structure currently if, if you look at the rest of society. And I also think, I mean, I think facts are important. The letter to the editor, the first thing that caught people's eyes was like saying, like as a 46% minority was like kind of... <laughs> The statistics don't necessarily back it up, like having like an 8% difference. I think we did the calculation was like 120% difference. And then that of course excludes like all the people who are gender non-conforming. Yeah, and I think like if the patriarchy exists, things that like affect all genders negatively in a way are going to exist. But I think terminology and language and discourse and the focus on that is so important because you can prove just as easily that misogyny exists because the patriarchy exists as you can prove that, you know, toxic masculinity exists because the patriarchy exists. But just focusing on like the specifics of the language, I think, is where it gets sort of tricky to get, you know, what are we proving? Does this exist? Is this a part of that? And so that might differ according to like people's personal opinion. I also say there is not a, a power structure where women are on top at Wesleyan. Mm -hmm. I might think you could say that like, yes, women like make jokes about men, but I wouldn't say that men are getting less opportunities at Wesleyan and women are taking them away or like men are being treated. I mean, I guess you could argue that like jokes are giving less respect, but I wouldn't, and, and any like academic sphere or extracurricular sphere, men aren't being given less respect. What do you hope that readers, well, I'll ask you two questions. First, what do you hope that readers um, will take away? I think, I 
hope that you know they look at things like discourse with just a bit more nuance this is something that i got into like halfway through while like writing the article too is oh i should really look at what others are thinking about this too so it did also involve like reading the comments on the original article and things like that so just honestly just like critical thinking and not making incredibly simplified arguments cuz like you can't make an argument in isolation it just won't end up being accurate um and i think just the importance of hearing both sides of the story like i know i don't think being mean to the person who wrote the letter to the editor is the right solution because i feel like it's important to have these conversations and also that like you know it can just be constructive like i know that people also thought that the original letter had a few good ideas just keeping that in mind like can listen to both sides can i ask what you hope the author of the original piece will take from your article um i hope that i guess he'll do more research I think it's always good to have like whenever I try to read any like opinion piece I try to keep an open mind and myself open to changing my opinions not saying that he has to change his opinion of course he doesn't I hope he has an open mind and also the one biggest critique I'd have about it is just like thinking about the way you you word things so you don't like delegitimize someone else's experience Can I ask what the response has been is there anything else you'd like to add in terms of like how people have responded to your article specifically not just everything else that's been going on I posted on my Instagram story <laughs> and I got a lot of positive responses from it on Fizz the anonymous app there's definitely been some negative ones like I think there's one post that was basically just calling it idiotic my only issue with that is that, like when you write an op-ed you should expect it's a good op-ed if you're getting there's some kind of controversy involved in it but I would appreciate more if they explain why the positive feedback has been like really reassuring in a way cuz like people said that these are the things that they really really wanted to convey but they didn't know how they could without being seen as like oh you're a man hater or, or whatever i mean no one's going to think that at a school like wesian but from like the very different backgrounds that everyone else comes from We're curious what you have to say about Michael's letter, Lillian Johnby's response, and the general topic of misandry at Wesleyan. If you want to share your thoughts, send a voice memo to aanelson@wesleyan.edu, and your comments may be featured in a future episode. As usual, to wrap up this week's podcast, we're going to be recapping the past week on the Argus. For news, news editor Carolyn Newgarten and assistant news editor Gabrielle McIntosh covered election day, which fell on Tuesday of this week. Carolyn and Gabrielle provided an overview of local candidates and a guide to voting in person in Middletown. Carolyn also teamed up with assistant news editor Rose Chen to cover the Office of Equity Inclusion's open forum this Monday. The forum showcased finalist candidates for the Vice President of Equity Inclusion position. Meanwhile, the features team gave us a fun article on how to prepare for the upcoming Connecticut winter. And staff writer Abby Glassman wrote a West celeb on Theo Dolan, the founder of multiple Wesleyan improv groups. On the arts and culture side of things, arts and culture editor Nicole Lee offered her take on the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. And for opinion, contributing writer Grace Cutler wrote about the lasting impact that COVID has left on the class of 2024. Meanwhile, assistant arts and culture editor Charlotte Seal wrote an article about the humanitarian crisis in Gaza, urging Wesleyan students to quote, hear each other, mourn together, and work as a community to end the suffering. Finally, over on sports, assistant sports editor Aluchi Chukwameka covered the World Wrestling Entertainment Crown Jewel event, which took place over the weekend in Saudi Arabia. 
Meanwhile, sports editor Sam Weitzman-Kirker wrote a profile of the Wesleyan men's rugby team calling them a, quote, brotherhood on and off the pitch. That's all for today. Thank you for listening to the Wesleyan Argus podcast this week, and be sure to check out today's issue of the Argus. The Wesleyan Argus podcast is hosted by me, Audrey Nelson, and me, Laya McThavram. If you're interested in audio and music, would like to be involved with creating a background check for the podcast, or even just hear a cool sound on campus that you think should be shared, please reach out to us through email. Our podcast editor is Hannah McKiernan. You can also connect with the Argus online at wesleyanargus.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok pages. Stay tuned for our next podcast, and we look forward to keeping you updated throughout the semester. Thanks for listening.